Welcome to Vineyard Hopkinton. As we follow Jesus together, we experience the Holy Spirit, create a multicultural community, and pursue kingdom of God justice. So uh, today we're going to look at a story of Jesus and his mom. You know, sometimes as a mom, I'll think like, I'm not getting paid enough for this. Uh, we were at a family gathering and uh, the kids were about to go to bed. So the parents were setting up the snacks and the games as parents do for after kids bedtime. And then there was, you know, a whole conflict between cousins. And so I'm up among the sleeping bags mediating this whole thing. And I come down and grab some snacks. I'm like, you know, therapists get paid like 80 bucks an hour for what I just did. But I think about Jesus and his mom, like, Mary had a perfect child. Her child was sinless. Can you imagine that? Like, I feel like if, you know, if you're a parent or can imagine being a parent, like, imagine raising a child who never did anything wrong. I feel like we'd kind of be on easy street with that one, right? It was still hard. It was still hard. And like all family, it was wonderful it was worth it, it was glorious, and it was not easy. So happy Mother's Day to all of you with that. Um, mothering was hard for Mary. It's, it's family, family is tough. Let's pray, and then we're going to see what this interaction between Jesus and his mom tells us about receiving Jesus' best for us. And Jesus, we thank you that you meet us here today, Lord God that we do not come into an empty church building. We come into a church building filled with love from friends, fellow brothers and sisters in Christ who care about us. We come into a place filled with your love, Lord God, and that you desire to meet with us. As you have throughout the course of history, uh, you desire to meet with your people in the temple tabernacle. And you desire to walk with people in the flesh as Jesus. And now you are with us, Holy Spirit. You're with us. You're here. You're close. You're accessible and available. You're loving and kind. So you say yes to your presence this morning. Yes to your word this morning. As the psalmist says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. We soften our heart. We let you love us, Lord God. In this time, in this space, we let you love us through your word to us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're going to be in John chapter 2 this morning. So Jesus has started his ministry. John the Baptist has said, actually, you shouldn't be, you know, pinning all your hopes on me. He's the guy. He starts gathering some of his disciples. Then the next day, there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities, which is actually kind of a big problem. It meant that the festivities would be prematurely cut short. Everyone would remember it. It's a huge, you know, social stain, embarrassment. Um, so Jesus' mother told him, they have no more wine. Woman, 
That's not our problem, Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. Woman, woman, is that any way to talk to your mother? What is this you to me? Why do you involve me in this? It's not my problem. It's not our problem. My time has not yet come. Mmm, child, what does that mean? My time has not yet come. We actually know what that means. Jesus uses it throughout uh, scripture. My time refers to his big moment, his death for our salvation. That is his hour, his, this moment on the cross for our salvation. But please, let's stop exaggerating. Your mother is talking about wine, not your blood. What's going on here? Why doesn't Jesus give his mother a neat yes or no? Actually, frankly, yes, because spoiler alert, this story is not here for these four verses of, and Jesus told his mother no, the end. It continues. He will, you know, act favorably in this situation. Why doesn't God give you a yes? Or maybe just a neat no. Why hasn't God moved in areas of your life? After years of praying, after years of waiting, why do we have to go through all of this? Jesus doesn't give us a yes right away. When he doesn't give us a yes right away, he's waiting for something to change. And that change is usually in you and me. Jesus tells the story of a woman pleading and continually making her case to this judge who could act favorably and give her justice in her situation. And after bugging him and nagging him and showing up constantly at the doorstep, finally the judge says, okay, you know what? I don't actually care, but because you are driving me crazy, I will give you the justice that you seek. Jesus says, I want you to be like that woman who is determined, who's focused, who knows what she wants, who is focused on justice and God's mission and the kingdom of God coming, who keeps at it with determination and persistence. God doesn't change. It's like, I want to see that change in you. You know, today is Mother's Day, and you may have a difficult situation with your child. You may wish you had a child. You may have recently lost your mother. There's a family situation that I've been praying for fairly consistently for 11 years now. I'm not sure how much it's changed, but I know that my prayers are right and good and holy and the right thing for me, the right response. Some of you have me beat at 11 years. You've got 20 or 30. I'm praying for a family situation. But I know that those prayers are right and good and what Jesus wants for me and producing good change in me as I lean into good, as I ask for God for healing and reconciliation and restoration. So Mary involves Jesus. 
Mary involves Jesus. And here's the thing. They may not have enough wine because of Jesus, actually. He shows up with his whole entourage. Uh, frequently in the Middle East in those days, you actually contributed some wine. He did not have that much money. Maybe he didn't contribute some wine. Or maybe he just showed up with a larger entourage than they expected. He's just started recruiting his disciples. We didn't know his recruitment efforts would go so fast. Uh, here he comes with all these people. We're running out of wine a little earlier than we anticipated. Friends, do you have some problems in your life that are because of Jesus? Would it be easier if you didn't have to do the church thing or the tie thing? Would it be easier at school if you could just act like everybody else? Those are the best problems to involve Jesus in. You say, excuse me, God, you brought me here. You moved me to this country. You guided me to this job. You told me to get involved with this family member in this way. And when we respond to Jesus in the beginning, and then we involve Jesus through the difficult middle when it seems like things are stalling out, that's where we see victory in the end, where we involve Jesus all the way through. Mary realizes that uh, running out of wine probably isn't Jesus's problem. You know, Mary realizes she's been around enough weddings, enough celebrations, enough of these things. Jesus probably isn't the first person who needs to know. It's not his party, not his family, not his responsibility. Frankly, it doesn't actually seem like the first thing that Jesus would care about. It's not someone's eternal salvation. It's not ending world hunger. But Jesus is still her first call. She doesn't go to any of the other people who would be responsible for this problem or responsible for fixing it. Her first call is to Jesus. Who's our first call? Who's our first call? Friends, we have the same access to Jesus that his mother did. In fact, his mother later on is going to show up and say, you know, things are getting a little out of hand with Jesus. I'm going to go and get him. In fact, sons, you're coming with me to get your brother. They show up. Jesus is really busy. They send a messenger in to try and extract him. Jesus says, my mother and brothers? Hmm. My mother and brothers is whoever does the will of God. He claims the same relationship with me, with you, that he did with his biological mother and brothers. We have the same access to Jesus that Mary did. We want to involve Jesus and make our problems Jesus's problems. So Jesus gave her um, what I would say is a strong maybe. Like if I've ever heard a maybe like, oh, I don't know if this is really my problem. Like that's, that's a maybe right there. But his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. Standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. So we're, we're looking at uh, a lot, lot of gallons of, of water, um, over a hundred, um, 
150, Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. When the jars had been filled to the brim, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions. Do whatever he tells you. So the servants followed his instructions. We typically think of the miraculous happening in a place of mm, really wanting it. That miracles happen when you, you pray super hard and say, please, 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 God. And when you, you really need it or are really desperate for this miracle. Or maybe when you really deserve the miracle. Jesus shows us that miracles happen from a place of obedience, not a place of begging. Miracles happen from a place of obedience, the obedience to show up, the obedience to ask, the obedience to do whatever he says and follow his instructions. Usually we say, I'll do whatever you say when it makes sense to me. I'll do whatever you say when I see how it's the right thing, when I see how there's a payoff. Mike Pilavachi says that that's not obedience. That's just happening to agree with God about that. We say, I'll do whatever you tell me when I understand it. I'll do this when I see how it's going to help these people. In place of obedience, we usually try to bargain with God. That's the halfway of obedience. I don't like your answer, so how about I do this part and then you do that part? They really need this wine, Jesus. So how about you think about it? I'll come back later. How about I provide one bottle and you provide one bottle? Bargaining, negotiating, compromising, it seems so reasonable. Uh, I lived for a little while in China, um, and I don't think I tell enough stories about my time in China because they're quite entertaining, usually at my own expense. Uh, living in a foreign country is humbling, um, but in China they will negotiate for the cost of items. So the first uh, price that you are quoted is not always the last price. This is pretty common in a number of other countries. I actually really liked a little bit of negotiating because it takes shopping from just obtaining your needed items to a little bit of a treasure hunt, and you can really feel proud of yourself if you think you got a good deal. So my parents came to visit me one summer, and I had some meetings in Beijing, so I sent them out by themselves. Don't worry, they survived. Everyone was very nice to them. Um, and my mom is walking these beautiful streets of Beijing, and she sees a vendor selling these beautiful uh, paper kites. She says, oh, how much? 100 renminbi. That's a lot of money. A hundred is like a hundred here. But if you convert the currency, it's about $12 in U.S. dollars. So I was like, well, it seems like a lot, but here's a hundred. Gets her beautiful kite, goes down the next block. There's a vendor selling the same kite. Uh, she says, oh, they really are, are beautiful, but I already have one. The vendor says, oh, I'll, I'll give this one to you for 50. Wow half price? I should definitely buy it then. So she buys a second for 50. Goes on to the next spot on her tourist trip. And the vendor says, you really like these, huh? You have two. I'll give you this for a good price. How much did you get that one for? Oh, $50. 
20. And that is how she got three beautiful kites. When you average it out, it's not such a bad price. We cannot bargain with God. We cannot bargain or negotiate with God because there is not a better deal in town. There's no shopping around because there's no shopping mall for the divine. There is no bargaining with God because there is no other God. There is no bargaining with God because there is a fixed price on God. You cannot bargain with God, but you can join with God. You can covenant with God. You can receive from God. You cannot make bargains with God because there is no better deal, but we can give him the blank check of obedience. Mary understood this because her story with Jesus started with obedience. 30 years ago, she told that angel, May it be unto me as you have said, I am the Lord's servant. Fulfill your word in my life. Mary knew what her job was. She had been doing it for a long time. Mary knew that miracles happen in the place of obedience, and she knew that her job was to be obedient. Mary knew her response to Jesus. She knew her job. And I wonder, do we know our job? As uh, I was preparing this week, I wrote down a list of things that I am tempted to think is my job. Uh, Number one, fixing other people. You know, we know that God does the real work and everything, but you know, maybe he just needs a little microphone or like some expedition along the timeline. Like I could really help just smooth this out. We are tempted to play Holy Spirit. I was talking to a friend who, um, she's with a group of uh, other women and, um, some wine going, they're having a nice time. And uh, she's like, they were being so catty and gossipy. And it just really bugged me because we could have been a group anywhere else, dude, like non-Christians, anything else. Like it's just really bad and just like every other toxic social uh, situation. So she threw in some comments that she really thought was what the Holy Spirit would say. It's like, afterwards, I felt bad because I knew I was playing Holy Spirit, but I just couldn't stop myself. I think we know when what we're saying, if that is what we think the Holy Spirit should be saying to you right now, if you were listening to him, versus what the Holy Spirit is saying to me, for for me, for this situation in love. We know the difference. Is he speaking to me or is that what I think he should be saying to you? We want to change other people sometimes. Now, change or do we just really want to help them in a substantial way, in a way that helps them so much that, you know, their lives might be changed? Or do you just want to teach this person in a way that changes their whole outlook on life? We want to encourage, speak truth in love, give generously, sacrificially, But it's out of obedience to Jesus. It's out of a place of obedience to Jesus, not wanting to change or leverage or or manipulate the situation. 
the speaker who's going to be here next week talking on parenting. Um, her family actually pastored in Northborough for a while, um, and her mom, towards the end of her life, suffered from a neurodegenerative disease that left her communicating through an app on her phone where she could only move her eyes. It's a very, very slow way to communicate. So as my friend Sarah was writing uh, this book, she asked her mom, she said, Mom, what's your best advice to give parents? And her mom, very slowly, very slowly, using her eyes, said, We are tempted to be priests for our kings, for our kids, telling God what the kid meant, telling uh, the kid what God meant to mediate this whole thing. No, we should turn our children over to God as soon as possible. Get out of their way. That way, when the child is a natural part of growing up, rejects the parent, they don't reject God. I think it's good advice. We don't want to play Holy Spirit. We do not want to mediate between anyone and God. We want to get out of the way. Um, And the truth is there's a limit to how much we can change even our own children. The Holy Spirit does his job really well, though. We're tempted to think that our job is to make it better. If this situation was just different, if this wasn't in play, if financially we didn't have this stress, whatever, We think that if we could just make things better, make things easier for someone else, that everything would be resolved. Really, we are responsible for ourselves. Even in relationships, as they say, it's not about finding the right person, it's about being the right person. It's not our job to make everything better. Nor is it our job to judge how the process is going. Are we really along the right path? Is this really the the right system, God? You know, I think about these servants. These servants followed Jesus' instructions. And the poor servants, oh my gosh, they're they're just servants. They have to do what what people say. And then Jesus tells them, okay, well, she told us to say that. And, you know, this guy told us to take these ceremonial jars from like, you know, they're really special. I don't feel like I should just be grabbing them and walking off of them. Okay, how about we just do it as quickly as possible? As quickly as possible? This is 120 gallons. We can't get through this quick. How about we just don't tell it? Make sure the master of ceremonies doesn't know. Have you heard what the next step is? We have to go and tell him afterwards. But they follow through on their instructions. As they pour in water... Like, we don't have a water problem. We have a wine problem. Why? This is the wrong beverage, Jesus. They could have judged the process. They say, I don't need more patience. I just need results. I don't need to be messing around with loving this person. I just want to cut to the chase. Why is it happening in this way, this process? It's not our job to judge the process. It's not our job to be more spiritual, actually. Like, oh, this, this one's definitely my job. This is definitely my job to make myself into this holy person who prays all the time and who really hears God. It's our job to let God transform us. It's our job to be open to receiving from God, to accept his love. But it's God's job to transform us. He does the heavy lifting. He makes us, quote-unquote, more spiritual, whatever that means.
nor is it our job to monitor the results, to check in with God and see how it's going up there. Mary involved Jesus, and she responded in obedience, and then she walked away. She leaves. She said, well, I did my part. I'm going to go hang out with my friends, do a little dancing. I'm done. She walks away, and she enjoys the rest of the wedding. Like, it's really kind of shocking, actually. She just leaves and trusts God, trusts Jesus to do the rest of it, and enjoys the rest of her time. She doesn't hang around and say, "Hmm, how's it going, Jesus? Are you servants actually doing what you were supposed to? How's your homework, honey? And that's where the freedom comes in. When we respond in obedience, trust Jesus, and leave the results to him. I think in some ways, obedience isn't that hard. Monitoring the results is being involved in every step of the process is controlling other people is obedience is sometimes quite simple Stephen started this series uh, this empowered series with John chapter 14 Jesus teaches his disciples and says if you love me keep my commands and I will ask the father And he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and they will come to them and make our home with them. If you love me, keep my commands. Frequently, I think we don't need new revelation. We don't need God to reveal new big ideas to us. We just need to be obedient to what God has shown us already. Um, I have a friend who's in a national ministry, and she's got um, a big national uh, phone call like once a month where everyone gets on and talks and prays. And like, ooh, how is that? She's like, you know, Sarah, sometimes I get a little frustrated with it because sometimes we'll say, you know, let's pray and listen for what God wants us to do. And I'm like, we haven't even done part of what God told us to do last time we listened to him to tell us what to do. Like, hmm, you know, I do, I do hear that. When I think about, and we want to listen to, to Jesus, and, um, but when I think about my own life, what I need is not a new big job from Jesus or him to tell me a new, new path. I just need to stay encouraged and with him and close to him to stay true to the path that he sent me on. I think about many of our lives. Many of us know some real big picture stuff about our calling, or we know some real concrete little picture stuff about our calling. And just staying true and obedient to that is where the fruitfulness, is where the life, is where the joy comes from. There's a miracle in the place of obedience And even if there's no miracle, we're still in a strong place of obedience, and that always pays off. Mary knew what her job was. She knew what Jesus' job was. She'd been doing it for a long time. So it continues. When the master of the ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though, of course, the servants knew. And friends, in the kingdom of God, servants know things 
that masters don't. Servants know things that the big bosses don't. He called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the best wine first. He said, then when everyone has had a lot to drink, you're getting a little tipsy, he brings out the less expensive wine. But you have kept the best until now. This miraculous sign at Cana and Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Everyone said, wow, what a great, what a great twist. Nobody expected this. Isn't this delightful and wonderful? Jesus shares his happiness, stays in the background. Jesus shares his glory um, and this sign of who he is. Now, a sign, it's called not just a miracle, but a sign. What's it a sign of? Is it a sign of Jesus rewarding obedience? Is it a sign of Jesus' generosity and abundance? Is it a sign of Jesus liking a party? What's it a sign of? The miracle is doing this nice thing for this family, this, this wedding. The sign is that this miracle is not just a one-time thing. It's who Jesus is. He is the best wine, saved for now, saved for you. The miracle happens out of a place of obedience. The sign shows us that doing what Jesus says is not a sacrifice, but a privilege. The miracle comes and goes. The wine's all drunk up. The party ends. Jesus remains. At the beginning of this story, Jesus said, My time has not yet come. But we see that the time is now for everyone who responds with obedience to Jesus, who follows his instructions, who says, I'll do whatever he says. Friends, I think the time is now for our church to do whatever he says, and that's where the abundance and the outpouring of joy comes. Mm -hmm.